Hey folks, it's time for another episode of the High Power Archery Podcast. This week's episode, the zombies are coming. Okay, okay, you see the title and you're thinking, great, he's finally lost it. Zombies, like, really? Well, let's just say I was stuck in bed. Couldn't do much. Started watching some TV. And um, what else did I see? That famous TV show that everybody knows, The Walking Dead. Okay, what does all this have to do with archery? I get it. Bear with me for a second. Some of the things that I saw in that show kind of struck me. Uh, It's not the first time I've seen the show, like I said, but it did strike a nerve on how to communicate something I've been teaching my students for years. And that's how to maintain control in any environment. I've been through that before in other podcasts, but here's what I mean. If you're a target shooter, practicing your own range, you're comfortable, you shoot great scores there, you move to another range for a shoot, and you notice that the lighting's different, there is noise that can throw you off, you have that complex of thinking that everybody there is staring at you. I remember I've been through that. They're really not. They could care less what you're doing, but I go on. You're forced to adjust or you're going to fail. So different environment, different situation. If you're a hunter, the same thing kind of applies because you practice every day before the season. You're owning those 3D targets. It could be windy. It could be calm out. You name it. You're making every single shot. Now... You head to the woods. Suddenly, things aren't as constant. You find that, well, this is a different angle than I'm used to, or there's a lot of noise from those godforsaken woodchucks and chipmunks and squirrels who are all cute during the rest of the year, but to any hunter out there, are the most annoying thing on the planet because everything sounds like a deer or a bear walking towards you. And then you finally get your opportunity and the shot is in doubt because all of a sudden you're not in that environment you're used to and you start doubting yourself like, can I do this? Am I going to miss? You know, again, your psyche is just not cooperating with you. So these two situations are examples of what sometimes can create what is known as a backyard champion. And although I've explained what that is, I'll just go over it briefly again. And in common terms these days, a backyard champion, and I don't know who coined the phrase, but it's out there on every archery forum you could find. There's someone who's awesome in a controlled environment. But when the situation changes, they perform somewhat less than expected. Sometimes drastically less. Sometimes they can't even perform, period. We see this with shooters in Vegas all the time. They're owning it. They're great through practice. Night before they get there, they're practicing bang, bang, bang. They're they're on the top of their game. The morning of the shoot for that first day, blowing the X's away, they're good to go. But the second that that voice on the PA comes over and says, this end is for score, all of a sudden you can hear as one 
podcaster has said. The butt cheeks all clinch up. And it's on like Donkey Kong because everybody who was so geared up and smoking those X's get ready for the nines and the eights and the nerves to take over because it's on the line and it doesn't work out that great for them. It'll take them a couple of ends, they'll readjust, but by then it's already too late. So that brings us back to the zombies. No, the apocalypse is not upon us. Uh, second thought, yeah, let's just not go there anyway. Um, so what does all this have to do with the zombies? Here we go. Let's say you're in a situation where the zombies are coming right down the straightaway to get you. You're holed up somewhere. They're coming at you. You've got to stand your ground or, well, you'll get eaten. But I digress. So you're forced to take aim with your bow and fire. Now, here's the only thing with this. You're limited on on arrows. Hmm, limited ammo. Let's see, you might have three or five arrows, and you have three or five zombies coming your way. Bottom line is you have to make every shot count. You'll need to deal with fear. You'll need to deal with lighting, conditions. Starting to sound familiar? There are no zombies on the ranges you're shooting at. Well, scratch that. Wait till you see my video, but... Again, I digress. But the idea is that you don't have the luxury of being in a perfect situation. Quiet, great lighting, people not staring at you. Zombies are staring at you because they want to eat you. You get the point. So here's the thing. Much like you shooting at those zombies, when you take a shooter out of their normal environment, you cause them to revert to what they are at the core. Now, first off, that's not an insult. Not in any way. It's a matter of going into what we call your base performance. When all is in balance, you can shoot your best. Your shot's on, everything. But when it's not, you tend not to think. You run an auto program in your head, and the brain just throws it together out of necessity rather than one that you would carefully select purposely. Kind of like going into defense. And when you go to a range or something like that that you're not used to, where you find yourselves in a patch of woods because you're hunting that you're not familiar with, everything's different. And that's when your brain starts to take over trying to compensate for stuff that are the variables that are out of your control that are now have changed. Now, over and over I've referred to repeating. So if you if you practice, if you do different things, depending on the school of thought that your particular coach comes from, they will tell you, bang, 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 work on your system, rigid form, stand up, chest pumped in, everything. You're standing up like a soldier. You're you're rigid. You're you're going through your eighty seven steps in your head. And that's okay if you're trying to process learn like that because they say that if you do the same thing often enough, it'll become automatic. In part, that is true. So I'm not going to say that that's not true. But if I just, as I've discussed in previous episodes, the thing is with all this, 
that you have to train your body's motor programs, as Joel Turner says. You have to train your body to do things so that it just automatically knows, go in there, grab this, grab this particular piece of software, and run it. So that instead of mentally having to stitch through every single piece of your shooting form, it goes in there, grabs it, and you only concentrate on the stuff that you need to. The stuff that, A, hasn't been developed as much yet, or that is required more focus and concentration to get the job done based on the situation that you're in. So, like I said, you're you're going to that to your base programming now. So if you've worked on all those little mini programs, it'll all come together. Okay. Uh see I, I try to explain this to a lot of people and for some reason my girls the younger ones they kind of take it in because they don't realize like how I'm training them to do it so it makes it a lot easier um but but once they've realized what's going on as they develop their shooting form their shooting patterns you know they 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 get it all and it all comes together. Okay? So like I said, when you're practicing with rigid form, two things are going to happen. And those crazy steps that you have to go down. First, it only lasts so long before the elements begin to break down. What do I mean? Well, let's just say you're doing that. Stand up straight like a soldier. Suck in that chest. Keep that arm locked and straight and all that. What will happen is eventually your body gets tired. So the body starts to compensate. Can't keep the shoulder in the position it's supposed to be in. It starts to droop or you start to compensate by since that's weakening. Well, you lift it up a little bit. You'll pull a little bit more from the back. So everything starts to go out of whack. Where one thing weakens, another one becomes strong trying to compensate for it. But the problem with that is that you're in that situation because you're trying to get your body to adapt to doing something that it can only handle for a particular amount of time. And frankly, you're making your brain go into overdrive trying to verify that everything's in place and you're causing it to burn out. I'll give you an example of this. When a target shooter has been practicing and practicing and practicing, okay, Let's say, say they're used to shooting 90 arrows a day and they're going to go to a 30-arrow tournament. They go to that tournament and they're shooting their 30 arrows and you're thinking, well, we practiced for 90, we're good to go. Not so. Now you're in a different environment. There's fatigue involved. Now you're saying, well, how in the hell is there fatigue if they're only shooting 30 arrows and they're good for 90? Okay. Well, your body gets tired, and it doesn't have to be performing the action that you train for to get tired. You shoot your three arrows. Now you've got to wait to score that end for the next line to shoot, whatever. Go down there, retrieve some arguing over scores, come back. What would take you about two minutes to shoot three arrows and then reload and go on to the next one after you've retrieved them in a normal environment might take 10 minutes or eight minutes 
in a tournament environment. And depending on the tournament you go into, it could be a lot longer than that. But don't get me started on those. Been through too much of that. Anyway, not criticizing. That sort of thing has not only an effect on your mental capabilities, it has an effect on your physical. Because whatever happens, your body is still going through the motions and still weakening a little bit at a time. So now if you're a person who trained for all this rigid form, you're standing up straight, you're doing everything, it's going to break down over time faster than you think. Because I think that if you videotape yourself in a practice session, and say you're one of these 90-hour people for practice, takes a lot of dedication, yes. Film yourself at arrow number five. I never say film yourself at arrow number one because believe it or not, sometimes it takes just as much to build into the rigid form as it does to get out of it. Film yourself shooting your form from the back and from the front, from the side, from like the coach's position as we call it. Film yourself at arrow five. Then have someone film you at arrow 55. And again at arrow 90. I think that what you're going to see is going to be kind of scary because first you'll see everything's rolling. You got that, that straight up chest pumped up and everything. And you can see that you're holding and you can see that you're watching the angle of your head and all that. And about arrow 55, you're starting to notice, Oh, my shoulder's drooping or I'm compensating with my shoulder and it's starting to hitch up or Look at that, I'm releasing it. My hand, my hand is flying away to the side. Or um, my head is now, instead of being completely straight up where I could hold a glass of water on top of my head, uh, it's pitched a little forward now. My neck's getting tired. And by arrow 90, what you'd see is completely different. It's a shadow of what you started with. And you may not think it is, but it is. It's kind of like when you have 50 people sit next to each other and you whisper something in somebody's ear and you have them pass it down by the time it gets down to the 50th person it's not even close to being what you started with body is the same way if you force it to do something where it has to legitimately think about every single step it's not going to cooperate and it's going to break down and it's going to compensate for it so here the the problem comes in because when you go to a different environment, like I said, your body's going to go and your brain, more importantly, is going to go into default mode. It's going to do and it's going to pull a program out of necessity. Not the one you've been working on all this time for your 87 steps. Remember the zombies? Yeah, there's teeth attached to those things. They're coming at you teeth chomping away and your brain's thinking oh my god i gotta do something and i gotta do something now you know what the first thing gets thrown out is that whole rigid form thing it's just called grip it and rip it that's what it's gonna do because taking the time out to do every single one of those things in order is something you don't have the luxury of when zombies are coming at you Now, in real life, there are no zombies. Or are there? You're on a target range in a different environment 
that target that's 18 meters, 20 yards away for indoor or 50 meters away for outdoor might as well be the most gruesome zombie in the world because your brain's going to react just the same to it. Maybe now with not with the heart pumping or anything like that going out of control because there's no physical danger. But it's still going to react the same because now it's nervous. Like I said, lighting's different. You're, you've got the sting in the back of your head that everybody in the world is staring at you. So now, instead of allowing you to piece together your steps, it's like, oh, no, hell, just do this. It goes into default mode again, your core self. And if you've trained yourself by unknown training, call it whatever you want. I've been over in the last couple of episodes where you're training without knowing you're training. You're kind of tricking your body into creating a motor program that it can use and it can piece together all the while letting you have control. If you've done that, it'll allow you to put that in place no matter what the situation is. Because remember, if I physically have to think about 87 different steps, watch my stance, pump up my chest, this and that. It's not going to work because when push comes to shove and I've got all this other environmental input being thrown at me that I'm not used to, I can't take the time to focus on all those things. So I'll leave one, two, 20 of them out. And what happens? Your performance sucks. For the hunter, the same deal. You're in a situation, you see your your target animal that you're looking at, and actually, it doesn't even apply just to hunters. It applies to 3D shooters, too, because you go to an ASA in one place or an ASA in another environment, they're all different. A lot of people think that what you see in the finals and YouTube and all that, it's how they're shooting. No, you're shooting in wooded areas, you're shooting at angles, stuff like that. But back to the hunter. So the hunter's now in a situation where... He may have never been in the tree that he's hunting from unless he's had that spot forever. The wind is blowing a particular way and animals alert. Remember, we're not shooting at a target. It's just stationary. The angle's a little different. He went up 13 feet in a tree stand instead of going up 20. All that has changed. So now you start to, even though you're, really thinking that you're confident, your brain's like, I'm not used to this. And when you finally get your shot, you don't want that to be in default mode again. You can't rely on your core stuff unless you've developed your core programming. Unfortunately, most people haven't. So they go from being accurate shooters to what I call snap shooters. And if you know what a snap shooter is, it's basically the grip it and rip it. If you're a traditional person, some of it's based on that. But snap shooters generally in tight pressure situations don't do too well. Although there are some people who I know who are hunters who never practice and no matter what, they can get it in there. They're the exception. So now if you go into that, an even worse scenario could ha- happen to the hunter. You're going up in the tree Buckzilla comes out, what you think is Buckzilla. You're trying to, trying to focus on that shot. 
you start self-doubting, your brain takes over and it's like, I'm just running my core program, which is not developed for it. And like I said, control is everything. So let's just say you don't have the ability to control. Well, what you may not even notice, because now all of a sudden your brain is focusing or trying to focus on that, it's running a light program compared to the so advanced programming that you've been applying to it during your rigid backyard practice or range practice, and you don't notice that an even larger deer is about four yards away from the bottom of your stand walking right onto you. And then if you did happen to notice it, do you have it in you to be able to let down, to refocus, to take the shot? You don't have control. So that's your hunting scenario, target scenario. We've been through it. That target, like I said, out at 18 meters might as well be 1,800 meters away because if your body's like freaking out, your brain's in overdrive because, oh, my God, these people are watching me shoot here. What am I going to do? Okay, let's let's just focus on our stance, focus on our stance. Great, you remembered your stance. You completely forgot that if you, if you, um, if you jack up your front shoulder, you're going to wind up shooting low. And all those things work against you. But if you train your core motor programs, like I said, training your program that automatically knows how to release, training your program that knows how to stand, and you're standing comfortably every single time. You're not standing so that it's something that you can't repeat at will without thinking about it. Then you're going to fail. But what if you notice that, I think the saying is that like, 5% of shooters are doing all the winning at all the tournaments. And the reason that is, is because those are those people who have their act together, who have done it so much, who have combined all their programs where they literally don't even have to think sometimes. They're like, go go to the line, boom, automation takes over. They have control over what they're doing. But do you think they think about their stance? Do you think they think about standing straight up or trying to force themselves to straight up, they've already learned the fact that their body will break down. So they have to do and run programs. They're going to give them the best performance for the longest amount of time, allowing them to focus only on what they need to. If they're a 3D shooter, let's even get further into the woods on this one. No pun intended. But if you're a 3D shooter, it gets even weirder because... Now you're not just thinking about, okay, how do I make this shot and everything else? That's one thing. Angles and all that, you're adding to it, but you've already trained for that. Harder thing is, let's just say you're in the finals or something like that. How am I going to adjust my strategy now? Am I going to go for a 10? Am I going to go for a 12? How am I going to do it? Because I got to think about what the guy next to me is doing because I'm in direct competition with him. Lancaster this week was a perfect example of that because some people were afraid to use that 12 button in the finals. Or by the time they realized they should be hitting it, it was already too late because they were too far behind. Again, they may have been focusing on throwing everything down with their form and all all that. But you actually got to see it in the first arrows that they shot because once they stepped on that stage, the lighting was all different. They weren't allowed to practice on there. They shoot nines. 
But the ones who shot an 11 right off the box, I can almost guarantee you, it's second nature to them. Their brain is already running the programs it's got to run. And then they can think about if they need to shoot a 12 or something like that or attempt a 12 to make up a point deficit if it's needed. So you have to be like that. You have to develop it all together to work together. So the the main factors here are you have to have your programs all set. So indirectly working on them when your body doesn't even think you're working on them, they become a habit. A habit, a well-formed habit, can be applied to your shooting system, which then becomes second nature to you when you're standing on the line or in the woods. And then you only concentrate on what needs to be, what has to have more attention than other programs. Your mu- Just like if you're, if you're running a race car, okay, you're looking at your RPMs, you're looking at your heat sensors. Yeah, you're concentrating on the driving. That's just as important. But sometimes you have to put your focus on other areas because they are more focal to everything going on because if they go out of whack, the whole thing falls apart. So if you're in 3D, you're concentrating on your shot, your angle. Maybe your angle needs a little bit more concentration, but now you're not worrying about your release. You're not worrying about your stance or anything like that because your body already knows what to do. It's pulled the appropriate programs, and those are running in tandem and doing their thing. So getting to the zombies, do you want to be that program that just goes into the default mode? You could probably get eaten. Because, again, let's just say five zombies, five arrows. Every single shot has to count. But if you're in default mode, foom, boink, right over him. Foom, boink, to the left. Foom, boink, to the right. Gets worse. You're not paying attention to everything that's going on. You're in automatic mode. And you don't realize that there's a crawler who's been on his belly crawling up towards you who's now coming up like right at your feet. You might be out of arrows or like if you had your motor programs running, doing their thing, you could afford to pay attention to the other things going around you. You always have to maintain control. This whole nonsense that I keep on hearing people talk about, and some of the greatest shooters in the world proclaim that this is the way that they've always done it, but this nonsense of every shot has to be a surprise that you never know when it's going to go off. Complete horse hockey. Because if you're in that loop, Bad things are going to happen. If you're not present in the moment, what will happen is you're going to lose focus on something and in like really, really bad situations, and I've been in them before, you could be taking aim at a target at the field and some dumbass bicyclist doesn't realize he's racing across an archery field. Acts great pull, great pull about that. He's seen it before at a shoot. You have to have the presence of mind to be able to turn that off like a light switch and let down. Otherwise, disaster can happen. You're aiming at those zombies. You better know about the crawlers coming to them because if you're shooting with that surprise shot where once you go into mode, it's not happening. You can't let down. You can't move focus to something else, you're going to fail. That's what I'm talking about. You have to have command at all times. You have to be present in the moment, but have everything in your body 
running its own program so that the only things you're worrying about is like you're still present, you're watching everything happen, you're not punching because, again, you're in control of the program where you can stop it or you can run it. That's not punching people. That's control. Bodie Turner is winning everything around because he uses his father's system where he's in control of everything. He's just not racking an arrow in there, going back, and letting it fly. If he has to let down, he lets down. He's taking his brain functions and letting them run their programs, and he's in control. He's aware of everything going on. Is he going to win every single tournament? Maybe not. It's still an odds thing. You can have everything rolling perfect for you. Something just doesn't go right. And you lose by a point. But the idea is your success ratio is going to go skyrocketing if you can get your body to run all its motor programs on automatic and you just focus on what you need to and maintain control. So if the zombies are coming out at you, and you're able to focus on everything, you're not going to miss the crawler coming at you. You're going to be able to use your three hours you got left to take out those three zombies that are coming at you. It's going to count. The same way if you're in the woods and a T-Rex walks at you, you've got one hour to make it count, you're going to use that one hour to make it count. What kind of an hour are you going to need to take out a T-Rex? doesn't really make a difference. This is just for illustration purposes. Not really going there. But like I said, The whole time, you maintain control. You're present in the moment. You know what's going on. And if you can maintain all that, then you'll have an effective solution. So you have to have your building blocks. Again, like I said in the other podcast, you must develop your shooting to the point where you're taking a bunch of programs together, letting them loop together. Meantime, you have control of whether or not you need to stop the program, reset it, or do something else because one thing's out of balance. You're not shooting completely rigid form because rigid form will break down. I've recorded my students on shot one and shot, I think the one we did was 121. It was a long day. And the difference at shot one and 121, when they had mastered this, was minimal. And they do well when they go to a shoot because they're phasing out everything that they need to phase out. Remember, your environment plays a big part of it because if your body and your brain don't know what program to pull, the environment's going to have all the effect on it. Zombies running at you or a crowd of 10,000 people behind you watching you shoot a final in Vegas. It all has an effect on you. The people who know how to run their programs and tune that stuff out while maintaining control are the ones who are going to win. So, in the end, it's just like this. Whether it's zombies shooting at a different place that you're not familiar with, shooting in the woods in a situation, ground blind, tree stand, it all comes down to the same thing. You need to make sure that You've practiced and developed your shooting solutions so that you can concentrate on the important things. If you're able to do that, and I'm going to make a video about this, about how 
to look for this sort of thing, especially when you're training somebody. But if you're able to do that, you'll become a better archer overall. A hunter or a 3D shooter will become a more winning competitor because then they just got to work on their game strategy. The actual hard part, which is the shooting, will come naturally. Tournaments, they could throw you in darkness, throw you on a stage. It won't make a difference. You're focusing on what you need to focus on, and your body's doing what it has to, but you still have control. And it's especially important for kids because the first time they go into an environment like that, it can get kind of scary. That's why my kids are trained to practice with the TV blasting. It's a distraction. I usually put a movie they might want to watch, and they learn to tune that out while maintaining control because I have an arrow next to me, and if I tap the arrow, they know that that's an emergency. they got to stop, kind of like the whistles. So I train them to tune that out. Right before a big tournament like Lancaster, I'll replay YouTube videos of Lancaster because if you've never heard the sound of the target butts getting hit by the first end, it kind of sounds like World War III. So I train them to be sensitive to that, but at the same time, not tune out the important stuff. The lighting, you practice in different lighting, that sort of thing. Because if you're looking at it through a peep and you're used to seeing all around you, okay, so that peep is perfectly focused in the middle of that ring, but you get to the stage and the lighting behind you and around you is only on you and at the end where the target is, I think you might find out that your peep becomes very, very small. And all of a sudden, you may not be able to see that outline of your scope. Do you give up? No. You're... Your body will take over, and you can, instead of focusing on standing rigid and all that, you can focus on getting that ring as centered as possible in what you can see of your scope. So if you have a dot or a pin, you center the pin. You center the dot. You compensate. You can focus on that, which needs more attention than having to focus on, I'm standing up straight, I'm doing all that. Your body's already running the programs that's taking care of that. So, that'll do it for the zombies. Coming to a strip mall near you, probably. Who knows? This day and age, I expect anything. But anyway, we'll uh, get into our listener emails. And there's only one for this week. Um, It's kind of the reason why I wrote this, besides seeing that thing with The Walking Dead. So here it is. Jerry M. from Langhorn, Pennsylvania writes, Hi, Coach. I've recently found your podcast as it was recommended to me by another parent at our range. My daughter Sandy has been shooting Joad, Junior Olympic Archery Development. It's a program that a lot of ranges run. I run my own. My daughter Sandy has been shooting Joad and is 12 and has been shooting Joad for two years now. We just went to the Lancaster shoot this past weekend. This is why I picked this one out. Now, she never has any issues shooting her normal game, and she's doing well, usually with a high of 283 and a low of 277 in a 300 game, which is really good for a 12-year-old. There are 15 other kids in her Joag group at the range, and on any given day, there are at least 10 or 11 shooting with her. If they are shooting for score, she's usually in the top two or three. So she's shooting with her peers, 
She's at her home range. She's comfortable, and she's doing okay. Her coach had them register for the Lancaster, and she was excited to go. But once we got there, she was kind of thrown off by the sheer number of people there. She didn't want to shoot at all. Her coach had some words for her, and she powered up to the line and went on with the shoot, but I knew something was not right. When I was reading this the first time, I knew exactly where it was going. Her first end had her missing the target on the second arrow and barely hitting a scoring ring on the other two. She only went two rounds and walked back to me crying. The coach was no help and I had to take her home bawling in tears. She didn't even want to talk about it. What can I do? I called the coach the next day who gave me about four minutes of her time and basically told me she's just immature and needs to get over it. You all know how I feel about these sort of things, but i get into it in a second. I've kind of speed listened to a bunch of your episodes, and I know you have a certain feeling when it comes to how some people coach. You bet your ass I do. I just need some advice on where we go from here. She doesn't even want to go back to the club. She's embarrassed and really upset. Whatever advice you have would be welcomed. Hope you can help with this. So when I read this email, again, it's right after Lancaster. I think this happened to her on Thursday or Friday. I forget which day it was. As I got the email on Sunday. It really, really bothered me. Two reasons why it bothered me was because you have a coach who either doesn't care or is just going through the motions, and you all know how I feel about that sort of thing. And the other thing is, it's a perfect example of what I was just talking about. You can have somebody, the quote-unquote backyard champion, or in this case, you can have a kid who's just starting in archery, and they're learning and enjoying what they do. She liked going to the range. She liked participating with her peers in the Joad team or club or whatever they have over there. And maybe she wasn't ready for her first tournament. True. Coach's mistake on this one was, if you've never been to an organized shoot outside of your own range, Lancaster is the wrong place to do it! You go to a local shoot, you might have 30, 40 people show up, that sort of thing. Kid can get used to that. That's how I get my kids into it. You take a kid to somewhere where there's 3,000 people hanging around. All those eyes that they think are now focused on them. And then you throw them on the line where they're looking down each way and they might have 100 people on either side of them, suddenly way closer to them. And do you really think that they're going to adjust to that normally? And I've seen it a hundred, a thousand times. It's stupid. You can't take someone, especially a child, from one environment and stick them in another and not expect there to be some kind of reaction that you're not ready for, or more importantly, that they're not ready for. So getting to Sandy, this is a 12-year-old, okay? Her dad, the day that I received the email, couldn't even go, get her to go back to the range. That really, really bugged me. 
So I emailed them back, and I had him call me, talk to him on the cell. The cell. I said, can you get her to speak to me? And this kid had listened to my podcast before. I don't know if she listened to one too many, don't be that guy's, whatever it was. I don't think she was really anxious to speak to me. She was kind of like too not into it. So I said, okay, fine, we're going to do something else. And I did a FaceTime with them. And she wouldn't come in front of their, their iPad where he was running a FaceTime from. And I just sat there. It took about two or three minutes. I said, hey, I'm not going to bite. Come over here. I want to talk to you. And after about two minutes of, you know, me trying everything I could just to get this kid to talk to me, she came on and I had a few words with her. Not the kind of words that her idiot coach did. I said, look, I know you had a problem when you went there. So would I. So do all the kids that I train in one way or another when they go to their first tournament. And if that wasn't throwing somebody directly into a fire they weren't ready for, that's what they did to you. She was very surprised to find out that she's not the only one who experiences this. And I went to the whole thing, and that's kind of when I brought up the zombie story. I said, people get chased by zombies in those movies. You see them freaking out. You're going to a tournament where there's a 1,000 people. You freaked out. So does everybody. And after a while, I started to get through that tour. Then I was explaining to her, I said, listen, don't give up on what you like to do. But I'm going to give you a secret that will help you win no matter what you, go, what you do or where you go, but only if you're willing to give this another try. And she, she's like, well, okay. And kids and adults, not for nothing, they're exactly the same in a lot of ways. But you know, if you take the amount of time to not make them feel like an idiot, not, to, not make them feel embarrassed, that they should be embarrassed for what happened to them, and they should never be, They'll understand if you explain something to them in a way that is not harsh, not yelling at them, saying, grow up, like her coach did. You might actually get through to them. And I did with her. I said, look, the biggest secret you can know is this. When you go to one of those tournaments, no matter how big it is, nobody's watching you. Well, maybe your dad is if he's the one who went there with you, but really nobody else is watching you. They said, I'll give you another another secret. Your coach, probably not even concerned about what you're doing because they got 15 other kids to worry about when they're over there. They're not going to have their eye on you 24-7. So when you go to one of these things, you go there for you. Consider it an experience. Get to see all the weird sights. When you go to the zoo, have you ever been to a zoo before? No. You go to the zoo to experience new things. Come to New York City. The whole place is a zoo, but I digress. Anyway, you go somewhere, you take in the experience for what it is. You get yourself used to it. You don't learn to swim in a 50-foot deep pool. You learn to swim in a little wading pool so you have control. Now, this was done to her the wrong way, 
And I explain that to her, and she understands it. But now she accepts it for, well, now I've experienced what that's going on. I know no one's going to bite me. I said, when, when you walked off the line because you stopped shooting, did you see anyone staring at you? No. They were all worried about what's going on with their shooters and this and that and where their next hot dog's going to come from. Or whoopie pie. They're really great at that tournament, but I digress. Anyway, so they're all worrying about something else other than you. So what I wanted her to do was to go back to her her Joad class, not be ashamed of what happened, okay, and just keep going. She started archery because she liked shooting. There is no reason to stop liking what she's doing. And I told her dad, I said, she's going to go back, and she agreed to go back. Let me know what's happening. Because if I have to go over there with her, I will take a trip to Pennsylvania, and I will work with her and everything. So he told me that she went the next day to their session that they have, which I think is like 4.30 in the afternoon. And she was expecting all the kids to make fun of her. They didn't. Believe it or not, half the kids didn't even notice that she had left or didn't finish. The more disturbing thing to me was that the coach didn't even mention it, which could be the coach doing what's right and not making a big deal out of it, or could be that the coach didn't care that much. Either way, she didn't have to worry about the coach getting on her case. And she picked up her bow and she shot and she got used to it. And it's been a couple of days and she's back shooting. Now, when I'm I'm recording this podcast this afternoon, and right before I started recording it, I got the phone call from them. They were at the range, she's laughing, she's having fun with the friends. And the dad's just like, thanks so much for helping with her. And I know this is a much longer listener email than normally, but it's kind of important. She's having fun again, but she wants to compete. You know, what do I do? I don't want her to experience that again. I said, that's fine. Take her to a smaller shoot. Another range always has these local shoots, whatever. Don't stick her in a national, but you're the parent. You control where she's going to go and shoot. So I gave him a list of places that he can go. Some of them are not that far of a drive, and they have weekly tournaments and all that, and she's going to do just fine. But more importantly was that she got on the phone, and she's like, I can do this again, and I'm happy. I said, then just forget about everything that happened, but know that eventually, once you get used to this, you can go back to that big tournament, and you'll be just like one of the other people over there. The only thing is, that if you learn how to do everything right, you could find yourself winning over there. Start small, work big. You'll be fine. So, yeah, that's the sort of thing that can happen. It was the reason behind writing this whole thing about the emails and doing, and the, doing the zombie thing. Because I had to find a way to get it to make sense. And I'm sure that Sandy may be listening to this one with her dad. If you are, keep going, kid. To make it 
something that everybody could understand. Not everyone understands technical terms. Running motor programs, this and that. Everybody understands a zombie. Everybody understands when you're facing that decision when you're in a tree stand, if you're a hunter. Or when you're trying to make a 3D shot or you're just trying to make a simple 50-meter shot that's simple to everybody else, but on that particular day, because something's out of balance, you want you can't just get it to work for you, but now you can. So, that'll do it for the listener emails. And now, what would an episode be without... Don't be that guy! Yeah, I finally recorded a gra- graphical voice for it. Probably sounds like crap, but we'll start with this. Anyway, without further gilding the lily, this week's Don't Be That Guy. You know, with that last email, you might think that this week's segment would target bad coaches. But I've done so many of those Don't Be That Guys in the past, focusing on coaches. You know that they already know that they shouldn't be that guy or girl or whatever. It doesn't make a difference. But this week's Don't Be That Guy goes out to the shamers. There are so many of them. So don't be that guy, girl, doesn't make a difference, who throws shame on someone for how they did at a shoot. How big their their first animal or any animal they take during the hunting season is. You get the idea how they performed at a shoot. It's like epidemic out there right now. I see way too much of this. People should be allowed to be proud of their accomplishments. Bottom line. But then you have these people out there who go, and no matter what they do, someone is shooting their first tournament. They make fun of them like, what, you only shot a 420 out of a 660? What's wrong with you? That is nothing but pure discouragement, and it's horrible. Guy goes out there hunting on public land. He shoots a little four-pointer, whatever it is. It's little to you, maybe, but to him, this is the biggest deer, the biggest matter in his life. He worked hard to get there, to get that. But no, no, no. Along comes Mr. Shamer, especially Mr. Internet Personality, who hides behind a keyboard, and keyboard warriors are the worst people in the world when it comes to this, to make fun of them. I don't care if you go to your first shoot and you shoot a 100 out of a 300. The fact is, it could be your first time, doesn't make a difference. You are there shooting for you. And for these people to come around, stick their nose in it, and say that you're anything less than that is stupid, it's horrible, and it shouldn't even be allowed. Unfortunately, the internet is the internet, and people do whatever the hell they want. But when those people are doing it to you in person... Those are the guys and girls who make this all horrible. You take someone's accomplishment and you zap the life out of it and you make them feel terrible. And I hate to remind you people, but you weren't born shooting 300 games. You weren't born killing Buckzilla in the woods every single season. Everybody starts somewhere. And I got news for you. Even people who have been hunting for 20 years or shooting for 10 years doesn't make a difference. If they progress slowly or 
they don't have the opportunities maybe that you have. Or maybe they don't do this for a living like you. They all find pride in their accomplishments until somebody like you comes along. Let them be proud of what they're doing because you know why? It makes them a better person. It helps them to build up their character. It helps them to keep going because once they hit 220 out of 300, they won't be satisfied with that. They keep on going. But if you come along like, oh, what's wrong with you? Why are you even doing this? You're shooting at 220. Sometimes they give up. And it's people like you who damage the sport. People like you who damage anything when you're throwing shade on someone who's just doing their thing is happy with what they're doing. So don't be that guy who's Mr. Poo-Poo on everyone's parade trying to make others look down on them because it spreads like a disease. Because guess what? One of these days, you're going to be doing something that maybe you're proud of and someone who's a thousand times better at it may do the same thing to you and throw rain on your parade and you probably won't like it. So just don't do it. And avoid... There you go. Because if you run into people who do this, and you see that sort of thing happening, don't even respond to them. Tune them out. Because you know what happens if you tune these idiots out? No one pays attention to them, and eventually they go away. So there it goes with that one. That'll do it for our Don't Be That Guy segment. I didn't get too tuned up for that one, but anyway. So that'll do it for this episode of Chomping zombies and targets and everything else. And I went through the whole thing without ever saying the word target panic because it has nothing to do with this. But so comes to a close this episode. Uh, if you need to be always be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast. This way you know when I pop another one out. I'm trying to get them out weekly or every other week. It's a little hard. Health hasn't been all that great, plus work and everything else has just been horrible. Um, so subscribe you'll know when i put a new one out there check out our youtube channel lots of videos coming i'm still in the editing process to get some of those things up there but there is a zombie one that i'm put out there which you might get a good chuckle at but at the same time you might actually pick up some pointers on you can find us at highpowerarchery.com be sure to like and subscribe we're forming our joe ads for the coming spring so if you're in the new york area give us a ring or look us up you can find us Anywhere you get your podcasts, you're obviously listening to one here. You can email us at highpowerarchery at gmail.com. So like I always say, it's never goodbye. It's until we see you next time. So till then, stay safe and shoot straight.